0: Halls of Fame celebrate the most elite and legendary leaders in their field, but there's no one to honor the Halls of Fame themselves for their contributions. Until now. Join me as I tour the country, inducting these revered institutions into my own personal Hall of Fame of Halls of Fame. Along the way, I'll interview the curators and historians who fill these destinations with priceless artifacts and inspiring stories. I'm Bradley Barth, and this is Hall Pass. Today's hall pass grants us access to the National Toy Hall of Fame in Rochester, New York. Founded in 1998 by a children's museum in Oregon, the hall was acquired by the Strong National Museum of Play in 2002. New inductees are added each November, and as of this interview, the hall has enshrined 77 toys. A whimsical mix of dolls, board and card games, electronics, and products used for building, writing, creating, playing make-believe, and everything in between. Today, I've made a playdate with Christopher Bench, Vice President for Collections at The Strong. We'll talk about our own favorite childhood toys, which toys would make the best and worst plots for movies, and how a Transformer actually helped one museum patron propose to his girlfriend. Chris, thanks for being here today. I got a chance to fully explore the museum and the Hall of Fame yesterday, and not that I ever really grew up, but... Just going through the hallways made me want to be a kid again and go rummage through my parents' uh, garage and basement and see what old toys of mine I could uh, dig up. Uh, it made me feel very nostalgic. So uh, I've owned a lot of the iconic toys that are on display here that have made it onto the, uh, the short list for the Hall of Fame. Which inducted item is your personal favorite or most meaningful to you and why?
1: You know, I was a toy car kid growing up, and I thought it was kind of a crime that for so many years, neither Hot Wheels nor Matchbox toy cars had gotten inducted into the Hall of Fame. So when Hot Wheels finally made it in, I felt deeply gratified. I am proud to say that I did not put a finger on the scales to make that happen, (laughs) and it was great to see those vehicles that I had such affection for get celebrated as the classics that they are.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I I had a, uh, I wasn't a big matchbox guy myself. I had a, a few of them. Uh, I know that I I had uh, my own remote control car. I, <laughs> I made one of those uh Boy Scout, what do you call it, the little uh, oh, pine, pine, box pine box derby cars right. and things like that. So I did a little bit of that kind of racing. Um You know, what's unique about this Hall of Fame is certain games – Or objects that you have on display here date back, you know, not just years or decades, but centuries. Uh, Pretty much some of these objects can basically be traced back to the start of human civilization. Uh, So you have everything from older things like just balls and chess and checkers and things like that. And even sticks and blankets, which can (laughs) double as swords or forts. So that leads to my question, because you really do have a mix of everything. You have board games, you have Scrabble, you have Risk, you have electronics like Game Boys, you have dolls like Barbies and G.I. Joes. Um, What is a toy? Can anything be a toy?
1: (laughs) Yes. Every now and again, I I get criticism that, okay, you just inducted Uno. That's not a, this is the National Toy Hall of Fame. That's not a toy. That's a game. And we contend that Toy is a very sort of spacious concept. So it includes things in our definition like cardboard boxes that we inducted in 2005. (laughs) It's basically anything that you can play with. And we're the National Museum of Play here at the Strong Museum. We're not the National Museum of Toys specifically. And play is a really open-ended concept. It's things that are self-selected. It's things that you have fun with. Uh, I've been a gardener through my life, and if you told me to go dig a trench, I'd feel really cranky about that. But if I decide to plant 500 daffodil bulbs, that's play for me. It's self-generated. It's self-directed. That's what makes it play.
0: Very open to interpretation in terms of what can be a toy, really anything that your imagination can have fun with. Can be a toy. How many times have you heard uh, a parent complain that why did I buy this $100 gift when the kid is just basically playing with the box that it came in? Exactly. So there you go. Uh, Explain to our audience the nomination and selection process for toys. Who ultimately votes on it? Uh, What are the qualifications in a toy that you look for?
1: All right, well, we receive nominations all year long for the National Toy Hall of Fame. So those come through the museum's website, they come via letter, they come via email. People pigeonhole me, buttonhole me on the street and say, here's something you've been missing for so long. So every year we receive thousands of nominations for hundreds of different toys. And we have an internal team that boils those down to the 12 that we judge best meet our three big criteria, which are longevity. We want toys that have been on the market at least 20 years, long enough that both kids and their parents could have grown up with the same toy. Secondly, these are toys that everybody can recognize. Even if you didn't have a teddy bear or a skateboard or a dollhouse, you can recognize them, you understand what they're about. And third, these are toys that have what I call play value. So they encourage learning, creativity, discovery. So these are toys that have enduring value. And uh, there's a few that have also gotten in for Innovation. So, for instance, G.I. Joe was the first toy that was called an action figure, and that created a whole new category. So we look at those big categories, come up with a list of 12 from the nominations. Those 12 go out to a National Selection Advisory Committee that's a big mouthful. It's kind of the Academy in our own little Academy Awards. That group of about two dozen people vote on what they think is most deserving to get in that year. And from their votes, we come up with the three new toys that deserve to get an inducted in November of each year.
0: Yeah. You mentioned G.I. Joe. I just learned yesterday from touring the museum that G.I. Joe was originally created as Barbie's Ken and then he was repurposed which I thought was really interesting. Right.
1: They needed a prototype and Ken was the perfect size. They butchered him up a little bit mm. uh, to make him a little more macho and they ultimately added all those articulated joints that yeah. make GI Joe so posable.
0: Yeah, so pretty funny. I didn't realize the uh, connection there, so that was pretty neat. Uh, I should also note that you do have a separate toy industry hall of fame represented here as well, which features individuals like Milton Bradley, Walt Disney, Donald Duncan of the Duncan Yo-Yo fame, uh, true titans whose contributions to the toy industry uh, inspired our imaginations. Is there anyone on that list uh, whose story you find particularly inspiring?
1: Oh, um One of the new inductees who will be added to the Toy Industry Hall of Fame in September of 2023 is John Lloyd Wright. And we all probably know architect Frank Lloyd Wright. This is his son, John Lloyd Wright, who when he was observing his father building the Imperial Hotel in Japan in the early part of the 20th century, to have earthquake Proof design. It was designed with pieces that sort of interlocked and notched over each other and that made John Lloyd Wright think of the frontier design of notched log cabins that he knew of. And he came back home to Illinois from Japan and in the early teens of the 20th century started making Lincoln Logs and that is a product that is still with us to today.
0: Yeah, so everybody can be a builder thanks to uh, John John Lloyd Lloyd Wright. Wright. You know, throughout the museum, you have a very nostalgic collection of toys and game artifacts that offer visitors a sense of the history of play. Uh, You have some of the original prototypes of things like Tickle Me Elmo, which... Funnily enough, was originally, I think, a Tickle Me Monkey, and then it was right. a Tickle Me Tasmanian Devil, and then eventually it became Elmo. Uh, you have, I think, the original prototype, or one of them, of the Monopoly board, which was right. actually circular originally. Um, so anything in there that you'd say was is a particularly prized possession or a rare find?
1: That Monopoly board was one that we really wanted to get. It was coming out of Malcolm Forbes' collection, and it was at auction, and we were as determined as we could be that we wanted to at least give a good try to get that into our collection. So when we were able to win that at auction, we were really proud to have that as part of our collection. It is probably the most influential American board game and one that continues to Morph into new variants right down to the present moment as people want to keep that fresh and play with it in new ways that are still consistent with that inherent desire to bankrupt your family and friends.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. They do have a million versions of Monopoly. And I remember at one point, we got, uh, uh, my family got. Monopoly Cheaters Edition was one of the ones for, uh, re- from recent years and I remember my nephew uh, who at the time was maybe I don't know like six years old or something like that he was really fond of that when he loved the idea that it was acceptable to cheat in this game <laughs> and they had different versions of the game where they said well you know th- there would be something that, you'd ha- that it would tell you instruct you on a card to cheat like when the other person's not looking steal one of his properties or something like that but then they had like a no holds barred rules version of the game where basically you could do anything and that was always the version that my nephew grant wanted to play because he would just basically tackle me you know and steal all my cards and be like i win so yeah monopoly
1: monopoly is game. a brawl okay it is it is
0: a lot of a lot of uh family uh fights and feuds uh have exactly. uh have, have originated out of a out of a game of monopoly that went bad um what about uh your your white whale, is there a particular item uh, that you really have always been on the hunt for that you haven't been able to attain yet?
1: The genre of things that we really want are famous people's childhood toys. So the example that comes to mind is what if we could get Elvis Presley's toy guitar that he played with growing up? Sort of something that prefigures who this famous person would turn out to be. And that would be a wonderful kind of twofer, because it's got an extra zing that it's somebody whose name or face that we all recognize, or and plus it shows the impact of play in shaping who we are. So we would love to have that. Will that turn up? If it shows up at auction, we probably won't be able to afford it. So (laughs) I hope some generous celebrity will someday say, here is my iconic fill in the blank, whatever it is. It made me who I am today.
0: Yeah, I mean, where do you go uh, hunting for toys and memorabilia? If, If you're saying, for example, I want you know the original Barbie in her zebra swimsuit. You know, do you reach out to uh, Mattel for that? Do you scour eBay? Do you go to toy shows and collections and, and flea markets? Where where do you
1: find stuff? It's a combination of all of those. When I started working in this job three decades ago, I had to go to flea markets and garage sales, and I might never find the thing I was looking for. So, for collecting popular culture eBay is a perfect tool for us. It's so delightful to sit at my desk and say, I want free shipping from somebody who has good ratings as a vendor and to have it delivered mint in box within three days. That is a luxury I didn't have at the start of my toy collecting career.
0: Yeah. You know, one thing that I like to do at some of these halls of fame is to look at how society has evolved over the years. Uh, and how that's reflected in the various items that are on display. You know, I specifically remember a few years ago I went to this pop culture museum in Baltimore, which had all sorts of games and dolls and action figures, and they had a Charlie's Angels playset for girls. Um, but the playset was a hair salon, and here you have these kick-ass women who are basically fighting crime for a you know detective agency and it was the toy was just all about looking pretty you know, basically <laughs> so i think we've come a long way right in terms of toys shedding some of the old fashioned concepts of like traditional gender roles for example and we see more diversity in toys now
1: we do and it's great to have toys that aren't purely pink and blue colored for what they assume boys or girls will want. It's wonderful to see increasingly not enough just yet uh, the blend of backgrounds and ethnicities that are represented in American culture showing up on the toy aisle as well as in our lives every day. So those kinds of things advance. Sometimes we take steps backward along the way. Uh, We have 1920s construction toys that show girls and boys playing with them side by side on the box cover that's not quite so much the mm-hmm. case in construction toys like Lego right down to the present so it's it's a mix of steps forward and steps back but yes toys reflect who we are now, who we want to be, who we want our kids to grow up to be. So they're very revealing in how they depict society and what they may unintentionally disclose as well for historians.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'd like to now play a game called superlatives, and that's where I give you an adjective or a descriptor word, and then you're going to tell me uh, which inductee best matches uh, that description in your mind. You ready to play? Ready. All right. Great. So let's start with this. Uh, which uh, which inductee requires the most creativity or imagination?
1: Oh, I think that would be an open-ended toy like the dollhouse. That it isn't. There's no rules that come with a dollhouse. It is something you have to furnish and layout and what happens after you've got it all set up, whether you accessorize that with dolls or action figures or stuffed animals, that's entirely up to you. So it does not have a backstory. It doesn't have a structure. It doesn't have any instructions with it. It is totally up to the child's imagination to run with it from there.
0: Absolutely. You know, I have two younger sisters and both of them had really big doll houses and they would love to furnish them very Elaborately, and uh, I they they went a little crazy with them. I know that uh, it seemed like my my parents took them to the uh, to the toy store on a very regular basis because <laughs> they just they needed to fully. And I, I at some point I'm like, you're gonna have to take out a mortgage on this dollhouse because it's to become a very expensive dollhouse. Um, which inductee is the most challenging to master?
1: Oh, that would have to be the Etch-a-Sketch. I am a person who feels like I've got some drawing skills, but on an Etch-a-Sketch, I can barely draw a diagonal line. And I am in absolute awe when I've met Etch-a-Sketch artists who can use that single continuous line to draw something like a fuzzy teddy bear. I I just can't even imagine how you start accomplishing that. So they are just astonishing to me.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree a hundred percent that it's really impressive when you have an etch a sketch Picasso because the, you there are no breaks you can't right. you can't break the line and that makes it you know challenging, uh, so yeah I and you have a giant etch a sketch on display here in this main uh, hallway where uh, it takes a, a picture of your face and then. Uh, The computer designs uh, a a replica of your face using Etch-A-Sketch, which is one of the cool features that you have here. I'm
1: glad you like that.
0: Yeah. Uh, All right. What inductee is the most nostalgic?
1: Oh, I think one of the ones that people get the most sort of emotional about is probably the teddy bear. That's that mm-hmm. comfort toy from many of our childhoods that is something that even when it gets old and ratty, you can't really throw oh. it away. And it's too important maybe even to hand it down to your kids or your grandkids. It is something that has a lot of personal emotion invested in it. So that's one that people kind of want to curl up with no yeah. matter what their age
0: it's funny too because the teddy bear is something that you think instinctually has been around forever but really the notion of the teddy bear has really only been around for maybe a little over a hundred years because right. it's associated with teddy roosevelt and his refusal to uh, shoot a helpless bear uh while uh, out in nature, and uh, because of the compassion he showed to the bear, they called it Teddy's Bear, right? right when they started right. making teddy dolls and became really popular, a bestseller.
1: Right. So, yes, a century is all. It seems like it's been with us forever.
0: Uh, which inductee is the geekiest? <laughs>
1: uh, well, it depends on your geek definition, but that might go to jigsaw puzzles because they are. People go deep down the jigsaw puzzle rabbit hole. And we saw that happen at the start of the pandemic when suddenly there was a global shortage of jigsaw puzzles because people wanted that tactile form of play that they could do indoors, maybe by themselves, or certainly just with their household. And that is something that people really could get dive deep into, whether that's the Thousand-piece puzzle, the five thousand-piece puzzle, the puzzle that's all a single solid color, no illustration on it at all, yeah. or some of the horrible ones that I've seen. To my definition, that have a picture on both sides, so <laughs> that you've got to sort that out to begin with. So oh, that that's can diabolical. really get pretty geeky if you choose.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Are you a big puzzle guy? I don't. That's one thing I don't have a lot of patience for. Some things I do, but puzzles. Or not one for me.
1: I am an intermittent jigsaw puzzle okay. guy. So holiday season, a winter snowstorm, that's when I want to have a puzzle out there to occupy me. Yeah. And I, I admit I'm the border first, work my way in. The sky is last of all in that landscape. Yeah. So I've, I've got my strategy. I can make it work.
0: All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. I will say in, in terms of as, as puzzles go, I, I would like to one day be able to solve a Rubik's Cube, which okay. is another one of your inductees. haven't haven't done that. I have to at some point really do a, uh, an internet look up on that and, and find the, the trick for doing that so that I can finally accomplish that. Uh, I'm with you that entirely. Yeah. I'm,
1: I'm not, that's not one of my skills. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so one more superlative for you. I wanted to ask which inductee is the most versatile?
1: Oh, one of the ones that strikes me as most versatile is the deck of 52 playing cards. I would contend that it was the original handheld playing device with a deck of cards in your pocket or your bag. You have umpteen different ways that you can entertain yourself, whether that's solitaire all on your own, whether it's a two-person game like Gin Rummy, or whether it's something bigger with four or even more. There are so many different games inherent in a deck of cards that it can do a lot of different things. And when you're tired of the deck of cards, you can use a clothespin and attach cards to the spokes of your bicycle and make it sound like a motor, you name it. Cards have got a lot of things in their favor.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, no shortage of games out there. If you want to learn something complex like bridge, or you want to just play something very simple, something that's easy for a, a young child to learn, to to get them started, just even something as simple as war. Right, or go be, fish. Or, or, or go fish, or something right. like that can be fun. All right, Chris, well, thanks for playing with me. Uh, We all know the movie A Christmas Story, where the kid Ralphie desperately wants his Red Rider BB gun for Christmas. uh, And he just goes to all sorts of lengths to try to get it. I also remember as a kid being a huge fan of... Uh, Voltron, the uh, the big uh, robot that was later shamelessly copied by (laughs) Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and uh, I just want to get that out there. Uh, And um, that was my Red Rider BB gun, because what had happened was, you know, there were uh, basically all these iterations of Voltron toys that were out there uh, where you basically had the five lions and they came together to create the one big giant robot. And my parents tried to get the right one for me. And each time they tried to get it for me, there was something wrong with it. It was either <laughs> no. we're like, well, these don't actually disassemble into the lions. They're supposed to. Or like, this, it's supposed to shoot missiles, though. The one that I was looking for is the one that actually shoots the missiles. And so, you know, we went through numerous versions and they burned a hole in there while trying to get all <laughs> sorts of versions of Voltron and then I finally got the right one it was really cool and then within like a couple of months later the Voltron toys were recalled due to lead paint <laughs> and then they had to be basically put away forever uh so uh, the point of the story is there's always this really either hot fad or, or or product that people get obsessed with, and then the parents have to go trekking all over to try to find it for their kids. Um, so what's your Voltron story or Red Rider BB gun? What did you want most as a kid?
1: One of the ones that I nagged the most for was the game Operation. <laughs> it was advertised on Saturday morning cartoons that I watched, and it looked fun, it looked different, And I begged for that. My parents were not big on super brand name toys. They tended to buy the slight knockoffs of things. But that was one that they got the official Milton Bradley Operation game. And I found I hated it. Ah. It only took me about five minutes to think, this is not that fun. This is not that interesting. It's not like it looks on TV. I'm not any good at it. And it was one of those childhood disappointment moments that what I've begged for, is not fulfilling me the way I hoped.
0: Yeah, Operation, the goofy game for Dopey Doctors, I think was the catchphrase for the jingle at some point. You did have to have a real steady pair of hands to be able to extract those uh, different uh, organs or bones from the uh, body. Not a, not an easy game. Um, the the latest inductees uh, from 2022 are tops. Spinning Tops, uh, Masters of the Universe, He-Man. I had a ton of those okay, when I good. was a kid. So I had, I had He-Man and Battle Cat and, uh, Did Evelyn you... and...
1: Castle Skull. Oh, of course. Castle All right. Grayskull. You were a lucky yeah. kid.
0: Yeah, I was. I was. I mean, it, again, that was another one where we were constantly hunting for hard to find characters. <laughs> uh, when you found one, it was, it was almost like, you know, going on a scavenger hunt and then actually, <laughs> you know, winning. It was like, oh, it's Prince Adam. They have the Prince Adam version. Um... Lightbright is another yep. one, uh, but let's talk about who hasn't yet earned a glass plaque within your museum. Let's, let's play another game when we talk who's been snubbed. These are toys that I personally played with. I'd like to hear if you think these candidates one day might deserve to make it in. It sounds like you have a lot of passionate people who are always clamoring always. or pestering you to, hey, this needs to get in. So let's talk about a few of these. Cabbage Patch Kids. Breaking news, as of November 10th, 2023, the hall did add Cabbage Patch Kids, along with Nerf, baseball cards, and the Fisher-Price Corn Popper. Back to the show. Um, a huge craze behind this. At one point, they even had the, the baby land general that you right. could go to and see them born out of the Cabbage Patch, and you could name them and adopt them, and you had parents basically running over each other in the uh, the store aisles to to scoop those up uh certainly not as big now as they were then but they are still out there so your thoughts on cabbage patch kids
1: you're right they were an absolute phenomenon when they came out they were white hot there were scalping going on there were brawls in parking lots outside of toy stores or retailers there were scams where radio stations announced that they were going to be dropping cabbage patch dolls from airplanes flying over over, <laughs> and there are people standing out in fields waiting for the dolls that never came from the sky. And yes, I think they're gonna get into the Hall of Fame eventually. They've been a finalist a number of times. Currently they're among the sort of what we call the Susan Lucci group uh, <laughs> for the soap actress who took forever to finally win an Emmy. They are one of the ones that has been waiting in the wings, a finalist numerous times. They're going to get in the Hall of Fame. Eventually.
0: Yeah. And let's not forget, too, that they spawned even the secondary craze of Garbage Pail Kids as well. Right, so, right. the
1: spoof version.
0: That's right, spoof version. Uh, okay, this is one that I've gotten into more recently myself, and I know that this has been very popular now for, for a while, uh, and I've become pretty obsessed with it. Catan, or Settlers of Catan. Right, I wanted right. to include at least one board game. Uh, thoughts on Catan?
1: Catan was a finalist, I think, a year or two ago, and it was the first time it had been a finalist. It had been around long enough and had enough critical mass behind it. Yes, I think it is... The iconic game of what's sometimes called in the business Euro games, more collaborative sort of games versus Monopoly or Risk that you're basically eradicating the other players, and I think it is going to make it in the Hall of Fame. It has laid the groundwork for For a lot of folks, a resurgence of tabletop gaming as a social occupation, something that grown-ups as well as kids like to do. So it's a really important game, one that was a breakthrough in the marketplace, and it definitely deserves a place in the Hall of Fame.
0: Yeah, and I can attest to the fact that Catan is another one of those games which can sometimes result in some hard feelings between <laughs> players, uh, depending on uh, who you're playing with and who's trying to screw the other person over. <laughs> uh, I'll trade my sheep for you, but not for you. Um, but uh, Catan, great game and very replayable in the fact that you can reconfigure the board every time, which I think is you know uh, an important thing, uh, replayability.
1: Uh, Colorforms. Oh, yeah. That was a toy that I grew up with, and the very first Colorform set, set was purely geometric. It was squares and triangles and circles. It was very much sort of Museum of Modern Art looking, and it was something that then has gone a million license directions since then. So whatever character you love from comic books or cartoons you can have that as color forms. And it was a pretty basic concept behind it. It was sort of a spring off of things like paper dolls, but with that clingable factor that you could reconfigure them so many different ways. I think they would be a great inductee to the National Toy Hall of Fame.
0: And they always had all the different backdrops that you could place the color forms on. And even though they were always fixed in one position, again, if you had imagination, they could still go on all sorts of adventures right. in your mind. Um, Transformers, this is kind of a funny one in my mind because, well, that the Transformers is another good example of a, a toy franchise where they did a really good job of using TV and cartoons and comics, much like He-Man and Masters of right. the Universe, to help sell their toy line. Uh, I bet on the wrong horse. I started collecting GoBots, and then that <laughs> went away real fast. Uh, And then I never personally got too heavily into Transformers myself. They also had uh, another very Transformers-like franchise that I feel like nobody remembers called Mask, which is where you had vehicles that would change into other vehicles, and the Heroes driving them also like wore masks with special powers. It was like they they had to have. It was two things. It wasn't. It was, it was like they they hedged their bets. So we're going to have like masks with special powers and vehicles to change into other vehicles. But I used to love masks as a kid, and I feel like nobody remembers it anymore. But anyway, that's all like a tangent. Transformers.
1: Yeah, Transformers are again a multi-time semi-finalist in for the Toy Hall of Fame. They're going to get in. Uh, I feel like masters of the universe sort of edged them out in being a media toy property that has a whole world built around it and they made it in first but Transformers is going to get in. My favorite Transformers story here at the Strong Museum is the young man who came to me was a huge Transformers fan and he wanted to propose to his girlfriend here and asked if we could have an Optimus Prime figure in one of our showcases down on one knee holding out a diamond ring (laughs) for his girlfriend. I said, I didn't wanna take responsibility for his diamond ring, (laughs) but uh, could we do something else? So he bought a cubic zirconia that we put in the hand of our Optimus Prime down on one knee, it's in the case. He got down in our exhibit on one knee and had the real diamond that he sprang on his girlfriend. So it was a special romantic Optimus moment, Prime yes. moment, which you don't hear about every day. No,
0: I did not realize that actually Optimus Prime was such a hopeless romantic right, like that. Right. That's, that's, a, that's a very nice story. Did he transform into a big rig and then drive <laughs> off at the end or no? No,
1: but that cubic zirconia transformed into part of our collection so he said i've given her the real ring i don't need the cubic zirconia why doesn't the strong museum keep the ring so we've got evidence of that story as well in our collection
0: now oh, that's awesome that is really awesome uh all right we'll do one more of these we'll go back to the uh younger age range for this one sit and spin
1: Ah, uh, okay. You know that hasn't come up as much as some of the other ones, okay. but as far as kind of a toddler toy, an activity toy, that's a great one to remember, and there are toys for that age bracket I hear perpetually uh from one set of Rochester area DJs about the crime that it is that the Fisher-Price corn popper has not (laughs) made it into the Hall of Fame. So people do get particularly attached to some of those younger age toys. And sure, you need to get a little grassroots campaign to get Sit and Spin into the Hall of Fame.
0: Yeah, alright. Things coming to life here a little bit in the museum as we speak. Things are turning on, so if you're hearing any all of a sudden strange electronic noises in the background, uh, it's just the magic of the uh, the Toy <laughs> Hall of Fame, so we're going to get a few sound effects here and there. But uh, there you go, Sit and Spin. There were a lot of uh, young kids' toys uh, with uh, those uh, illiterate S&S names. You had Sit and Spin, you had See and Say... Uh, where the dial would go around with different animals. The cow says moo, and you had speak and spell. Right. So you had a bunch of those. Well, speaking of all of the uh, whirly gigs and doodads (laughs) that are making all sorts of wacky noises here now, there are some really fun and imaginative interactive displays here in the museum, both in this grand lobby area where you showcase the Hall of Fame inductees and then also in your Hasbro game park and outdoor play garden area featuring all these larger-than-life game pieces from different uh, Hasbro brands. So uh, I did mention the Etch-a-Sketch as one example earlier, you also have a a big Jenga tower over your shoulder with a Mr. Potato Head whose body parts you can control uh, up there. So uh, just tell our listeners about some of the immersive exhibits that they can expect to find here.
1: We couldn't be the museum of play without letting people actually play. And we have always felt that it needs to be somehow have value added. This can't just be you drawing with, crayons, even though Crayola crayons are in the National Toy Hall of Fame. So we have a, a crayon piano that lets you use light and sound to play music, for instance, and you feel like you are in the midst of the game. You're not just playing the game. You're immersed in it. And we really want that sensation that you are having the best qualities of play, that you're engaged with other people. We haven't done a lot in the museum with, for instance, cell phone tours, because we want people playing with each other, talking with each other, having an experience. We don't want them doing what All of us do a little more than we might like is spend our lives looking at our phone screens. So we try to give engaging ways that whether you're a kid, whether you're an adult, whether you're a multi-generational group, you're gonna wanna dive in to play together. And we have grown-up only nights here at the museum. Three times a year, we call them happiest hour. We have adult beverages. But it's great that you don't have to feel like you're shoving a six-year-old out of the way to play at the Strong National Museum of Play. You can be a kid again. You can really revert to some of the things that are core to all of us. So play isn't something that's defined as ending at any in anyone's life. We hope that it just keeps on going and we give you reasons to remember that play is important for all of us.
0: Absolutely. There, you, there's no age limit whether you want to collect the toys and have a big collection at your house or you want to rip them open and you don't care about mint condition <laughs> and you're just going to want to play with this stuff. It's great that uh, you, the adults get a chance to get Hands-on with this stuff too. You do also have an oversized magic eight ball. And I did get to play with that yesterday. I asked whether this particular podcast would be a success, and I did get the answer, it is decidedly so. So good. that's very good news and so a good omen uh for, for this podcast today. So I also want to talk a little bit about Barbie because it is a huge summer blockbuster in a year that also features. Uh, a movie with Nintendo's flagship property, Mario Brothers. Uh, we also know that uh, the, the Lego movie was was great, uh, Masters of the Universe, um, even Clue, right? It's <laughs> a cult classic yep. from the 80s that, that people like. What toy or game would you most like to see somebody make a movie out of that they, that they haven't yet?
1: Wow, I hadn't really thought about that. There's a few of them that I hear about movie treatments being made for rock'em sock'em robots. <laughs> and I have to think, where are they going to go with that? Um, some of them don't seem like they have enough depth or layers to do that but maybe with a really creative scriptwriter a really insightful director yeah. who knew that barbie would have the layers the grown-up appeal that it has turned out to have yeah that uh i think with the right amount of imagination and playfulness there are probably possibilities that i'm not foreseeing at the moment but um uh, yeah i I'm not going to bet against any of them, given right. what we've experienced in recent years and Rock, certainly this summer.
0: Yeah, Rock'em Sock'em Robots. There was a movie with Hugh Jackman a few years ago where they constructed robots that were supposed to basically box or fight or battle each other. So I feel like that was the Rock'em Sock'em <laughs> Robot movie already uh, that, that came out. Uh, is there one, what would be the most ridiculous game to make into a movie?
1: Uh Let's see. The most ridiculous game to make into a movie would probably be Twister. It <laughs> would be hard to know what's going to really happen. What's going to be yeah. the plot driver that gets me through the Twister movie? So um, <laughs> you don't
0: see Liam Neeson in a real serious role here, being like, you know, uh,
1: it's we're going to have to twist. Now. <laughs> <laughs> that, I have would, that would have set a different of skills and yeah. twisting is one. <laughs> right. of them. The bomb will go off like if it's not yellow head <laughs> foot on the that spot. So uh
0: that's that's a good one. That's a good I'm gonna say hungry, hungry hippos. Oh, okay. Would be, would be a pretty stupid movie. It's like Jurassic Park, but bloatier or something. <laughs> <laughs> um Let's take a couple of minutes to talk about the Toy Hall of Fame's affiliation with the Strong Museum of Play. The reason this is all in Rochester in the first place, I believe, is due to local area native Margaret Woodbury Strong, uh, who was an avid collector of toys and dolls. Tell me a little bit uh, about uh, how her collection inspired all of this.
1: Sure. Margaret Strong had the fortune to be the only child of wealthy parents, a really good gig if you can arrange it for your life. And she came from a family of toy collectors, of antiquities collectors, and she was able to go deep in that. She had a massive amount of money, she had a big house, she had a lot of time on her hands, and she built this enormous collection and left her estate to benefit the museum. And that is why toys and dolls are Featured here at the Strong National Museum of Play, Rochester was not a center of the world of toy or doll or game production. But it was her foresight, her generosity, that allowed us to have this building that occupies more than a city block and draws more than half a million people to the museum every year. So we're very grateful for what she started for us.
0: What goes on during induction week here? Any special ceremonies?
1: We do have an induction ceremony on the Thursday in November when we bring new toys into the Hall of Fame. We've done that a number of different ways over the years. We've had very theatrical presentations. Now it's more of a talk and reveal that we have sort of humorous introductions for what toys are going to get in with a final aha moment? That when I remember the year we inducted sand that I talked with bad puns about. This is a plaything with grit. It has persisted <laughs> over centuries, etc. And then lead up to that kind of big moment that aha, it's sand that's getting into the Hall of Fame. So we try to make it a little surprising. We typically get 1.5 billion media impressions for our induction, and we did a really savvy thing, not entirely intentionally, but we positioned Toy Hall of Fame induction on the Thursday after election day. So we find that whether your candidate has won or lost, by the time you get to that Thursday after election day, everybody has sort of had it up to here with political stories, and the media is looking for a kind of feel-good, unite-us-all kind of story that even if you disagree that Masters of the Universe should get in before Transformers, you're probably not going to have the same kind of political brawl as our public life includes Right.
0: What toy bigwigs have visited here, or even just celebrities
1: We've had people from both Hasbro and Mattel be here for inductions. What is most meaningful to me are some of the people who are heirs to the creators of particular. Toys. I'm thinking especially of the Mullaney family, the people behind the Wiffle Ball. Hmm. And generations two and three were able to be here for the actual induction ceremony that their father and grandfather had created, the Wiffle Ball. So that was a really special moment, knowing that they were here to uh, inherit that great, the acclaim for that great plaything that continues to be popular with kids today.
0: That's very cool to see future generations from the original creators. Right. I'm sure there's always something in the works here at the Strong Museum and the Toy Hall of Fame. Obviously, there was a very big expansion that was just completed here. Uh, on the toy side, for those planning a trip here, what's new? What's next?
1: Oh, what's new is definitely part of our expansion. The piece that people might not expect is our outdoor element that you mentioned earlier. Hasbro Game Park, that's an outside exhibit with supersized version of Scrabble, Monopoly, uh, life-size version of Simon that you can play dashing around a circle if you choose to follow the notes on that classic electronic tabletop game. And that's the kind of thing that we wanna do more of going forward that really makes people feel in the midst of those kinds of play. And we also are working currently on, not directly toys, but for 2026, we're working on an exhibit about the history of game shows. So games are tabletop items or cards or video games. They're also things that we love to watch on our devices or our television sets. So we're looking forward to celebrating the history of game shows in 2026 and If you think people yell at their favorite sports teams on TV, they do it even more five and six days a week on their favorite game shows.
0: Oh, I believe it. I believe it. I mean, how many times have you watched Wheel of Fortune and you're just like, solve the puzzle? (laughs) It's so obvious. Um, And really, I mean, I think that's a great idea for an exhibit. I mean, there are actually quite a few game shows uh, that originally uh, came from uh, board games. Scrabble was a game show. They had a Monopoly game show at one point, although that one didn't particularly go over well. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, games quite often end up finding their way, uh, or board games end up finding their way on TV. In well, one or way card
1: or games, for instance. Yeah. Uh, lots of them based on playing cards, whether that's win, lose, or draw, or card sharks, things like that. So playing cards are in the National Toy Hall of Fame. So, yes, some of them springboard out of that onto our screens, and then back into the home version of that game show that shows up on our tables and our uh, kitchens.
0: Yeah. We talked about the history and chronology of toys and with that perspective that you have uh, of, of how toys have evolved over the years, where do you think they'll go in the future? What does the future of toys look like?
1: Well, people ask me a couple different questions about the future of toys. They ask, for one, do we ever worry that we're going to run out of toys to induct into the National Toy Hall of Fame? And I have things that keep me awake at night, but that is not one of them. (laughs) I have no doubt that great toys will continue to be created, that people will still have intense affection for the toys that are important to them. So there's going to keep being wonderful things in the pipeline that deserve recognition in the hall of fame. I think people also ask, are analog toys going to go away? Will we be totally electronic? And I don't think that's ever going to be the case. I think there's going to be lots of playthings that are hybrids of electronic and analog. I think there will also continue to be items that are purely tactile, purely, uh, no electronic device involved at all, as well as things that are far extreme on the other end of that. And one of the reasons for having both our National Toy Hall of Fame and our World Video Game Hall of Fame is to kind of remind people that it's best for all of us to have a diet of play that includes lots of different elements, whether that's outdoor active play, whether that's social play with others, whether that's imaginative play. It's The same with our food diets. It's not healthy to consume just one item. It's best to have a blend that is the most rewarding for us as individuals. That's best for us as a society. So we just want to keep all those options out there in front of people with what we're pointing out about the world of toys and play.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that, yes, we're going to obviously see toys that our smart devices, we're seeing that, and, and certainly it, they, it will become more complex uh, in, in some ways. Uh, they'll be able to interact with us more, but there's still always room for the cardboard box. <laughs> and so uh, with that, Chris, I think our playtime is over today. Thank you, Bradley. But I really appreciate you joining us. Before we go, it is my distinct pleasure to inform you that you and the National Toy Hall of Fame have been officially inducted into the Hall Pass Hall of Fame of Halls of Fame. For this, you receive no plaque, no. no bust, no inscription, no glass etching, nothing like that. But you do get a hearty thank you and congratulations from me. You have 30 seconds to give your acceptance speech to the world.
1: On behalf of the Strong National Museum of Play and my colleagues here at the museum, we are deeply honored to be inducted into this incredible hall of halls and we feel that we are in great company in that kind of recognition. So thank you very much.
0: Well, it was a thrill to be here. And uh, I know in particular, I was really looking forward to this one. Uh, I knew this would be a lot of fun and it lived up to the hype. So thank you again, Chris. I appreciate you inviting me here. That's going to wrap things up for this episode. Please return for part two of my visit to the Strung National Museum of Play when I profile the World Video Game Hall of Fame. Until then, I'm Bradley Barth, your Hall Monitor and wannabe one-day podcasting Hall of Famer. I'll see you all in our next edition of Hall Pass.